Welcome to the Stateside Podcast. My name is James Macmillan. I am your host, and to the left of me is our co-host, Neil Engel. What up? Over there in the corner is our trusted producer, Andrew Carrion. What's up? Uh, today's guest is... Uh, <laughs> that's Fart what I sense. sound. Today's guest is Jesse Cannon. How's it going, Jesse? Things are great here. Glad to be chatting with you guys. Where are you talking to us from? I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in the heart of all the I, culture. I knew it. I thought mm-hmm, you were mm-hmm. a, like a, a Jersey guy originally, right? Is that correct? I, I, I am, and technically my recording studio is five blocks into New Jersey from Manhattan, Copy but uh, I, I bike out there uh, when I go to work. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, I love New York. It's such a great mm. town. It's so good. I mean, to be fair, I'm like super touristy. I've only been to Manhattan, mm. really. I've kind of okay. pe- peaked into Brooklyn a little bit. I, I got... I, you know, I stayed in Brooklyn for a couple nights, but I didn't really get to explore. The one time I've been to Brooklyn, or it was actually Manhattan, um, for the Webster, I think. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I had to park a van and trailer. That was fun. Ooh. Oh, yeah. No, not fun. Not Dude, fun. It's not fun. It's that. That was my welcoming to New York City. I, I, to to be fair, parking a van and trailer in Brooklyn, Manhattan, any of the boroughs is all terrible. Like yeah. it's just not fun. Yeah. But uh. It's Especially uh, that neighborhood is pretty damn awful. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm I'm fresh back from San Francisco yesterday morning, so I also was uh, seeing that parking nightmare, and uh, th- it wasn't much different. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, San- people don't know that San Francisco's parking is t- t- terrible, and it's yes. and it's most of it is on a goddamn hill, <laughs> so it's even worse. Well, the whole city's a hill. Yeah, much. exactly. Like a five square mile hill, I think. Right or something yeah. like that. Something small like that. Something like that. Uh, what were you doing in San Francisco? I, my girlfriend had never been, so I was showing her because I lived out there for a while while I was doing a Limp Biscuit record years Holy ago. Shit. And uh, yeah, you know, it's my favorite city to eat in, other than New Orleans, and we did that the month before, so it was time to go there. Right. Holy shit! Now, uh, how how was that experience, Limp Biscuit record? Uh, you know, it was uh, a long, good time, but, uh, you know, um, nothing like blowing, uh, $2 million on our record that only sells 70,000 copies the first week. So what record was that? The, the unquestionable, been... the unquestionable truth part one, which the uh. reason you never heard part two and three is it was a little questionable. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, what, what, you know, forgive me for not knowing, but what was your credit on that? What was your involvement? Well, there's a fun thing with this. So I used to work for Ross Robinson as an engineer. And the funny thing is, is, you know, we got done with that record. And the music, I think, is really good. But, you know, the stuff that guy did on top of the music, not so much. And uh, they did not put credits inside the record. So what's my credit? Great, great question. Right. Great, 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 great question. It is oddly enough on my all music, I believe, but um, I, I think it's the, the label submitted to it. But uh, is that sort of the criteria for all music? I, I'm always fucking confused on how all music works, and you know, yeah, you have to file like not a petition, but you have to file a yes. request. Is that correct? If you want to do it yourself, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, in, if I'm being honest, I think half the reason a lot of the guys like to be on noise creators is just so that they can have their credits 
be controlled by themselves because right. all music is such torture to deal with. Um, sure. So, but yeah, I, in all honesty, I've never corrected my credits because I just like I'm not the type of person who cares that much. Right. Business is always good, you so know what you I'm did. just like, yeah. I mean, it's actually like really funny, as though I find out about some records that I did. Like, I had no idea that Animal Collective released the record I did with them until I saw it on there. I was like, oh, I just thought we were like dicking around having fun. <laughs> there, there's a there's That's a record serious. there's a record that Crummit and I worked on where it's uh, Chris Crumpet. Of course. Yes. Yeah, and uh, thought... Neil Anglo. Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh. Yep. It, those are d- diligent people right there. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Crossing their T's, <laughs> dotting their I's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Um. So for the for the audience that doesn't know you, can you just, you know, do a, um, a quick, you know, how you got into music, sort of what, generally what age? Uh, from what I understand, sure. you played in bands, and that usually leads to wanting to produce slash mix and etc and then you started noise creators in the book yeah so yes um, you know uh, take your time and just kind of explain how that all started uh i was playing in band since i was 12 yep uh then all around there i got mad because my band's demo didn't sound like appetite for destruction and how <laughs> dare that engineer not make a bunch of fucking 13 year olds sound just like guns and roses of course Yep. fucking talentless hack <laughs> uh, so uh i started learning how to produce i got a job at the number one free form radio station in, in america wfmu at i think 16 it might have been 15 it's hard to know right now mm-hmm. uh getting old uh yep, yep i did that i started working at a bunch of clubs all the while I was producing, I got a job at Go-Kart Records, which was this cool punk label of the day in New York City, where I also ran a record store for them. Mm. And then I did that for a while and said, you know what? All these other jobs suck. I should be producing. Yep. And uh, I was also writing for magazines at the time, like Punk Planet, Tape Up, Maximum Rock and Roll, uh, Sound Views, and a couple others. Um that's so, so I rad. Start... You're like a little, uh, yeah. what's it, Cameron Crowe, like a young yeah. rock writer. That's yeah, so cool. I, uh, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, it was like the funny thing I always tell everybody, like everything I do now, like I knew I was going to do it all at 15. Um, <laughs> the one thing I thought I would do is open a restaurant, but instead what I just do is I just help my friends who have restaurants with their sound systems, and that's as close as I need to get to that. Right. Of course. Um, but, uh, <laughs> which is definitely for the best. I, I see the hell they go through. It makes being a record producer seem like a light job. Yep. Um, but so yeah, then I produce pretty much solely for a lot of years. Uh, I were first worked under Alan Douches, who is the most mm. credited engineer in the history of music. Uh, and then, uh, I went on my own producing for a while that I started working for Steve Evitz for a long time. And made a bunch of records with him. Right. And then Steve brought me with Ross Robinson. And I made a bunch of records with him. Did you move to and L.A. at that time? I actually moved to London to do a Cure record first. Whoa. Uh, then, then I moved to L.A. And we did uh, a uh, Chase Pagan, which never came out. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, 
he later put out some records on the militia group, but that one didn't come out. And then we did Limp Biscuit after that. I think we did some other little things in the middle there. How, how, long, 13... of a, how long of a, a stint was that with Robinson? I think two to three years, two years. Jesus, uh, man. I mean, you, so yeah. that, that, what an experience. Cause I, you know, I, I've never met the guy obviously, mm-hmm. but from what I hear, it's, you know, it's it's hit or miss. Some people are like he's the best guy. He, uh, <laughs> you know, he's my my soul mate in music, and he really fucking helped us. And then you hear the drummer from At the Drive-In talk about his experience, and he's like, it was the worst. He was a fucking bully. Well, the, you know, what? I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, never the know. Drummer from at the, the drummer from At the Drive-In is speaking from the place of weakness, which is that the you know, like, what record have you heard of that takes a month to do drums? Now, obviously, that doesn't happen because of Pro Tools these days. But Ross was on tape at the time, sure. and it was because he was such a shitty drummer. I mean, I've been seeing At the Drive-In since their first East Coast tour show. He was not good, and he got good along the way. From after that, from mm. Ross teaching him to play drums. I mean, when you listen to the drums on those records before that, there's tons of flammed hits and shitty things. Oh, yeah. And Ross to deliver a, yeah. a stellar vibe. And Ross is the type of person who's uncompromising in it. And truth be told, what Ross normally does with drummers when they suck is fire them. I mean, the Garage, the original drummer of Glassjaw, who later drummed on, I believe, this new release and a lot of other stuff. Did, was that the guy that, that went on to do Rival School stuff as well? The, kind of the mid length hair. I don't know. Dude. That, I don't know that, but Garage ended up and saves the day for a little while. I do know that. Oh, okay. Um, so I think that's a different guy then. Yeah. Right. No, oh, I'm sorry. Sammy Siegler is who was in Rival School. So Sammy's who replaced Garage. So he's Sammy, rad. he's he's killer. he's arguably one of the best humans and best drummers I've ever known. Fastest um, right foot in the West. My God. Yes, that yes, is so yes, crazy. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, Sammy actually played drums on the Limp Biscuit record I did as well. Oh, no shit. Um, oh, wow. Oh, cool. Um, so, uh, point being, Sammy, because Daraj was having problems, Ross got Sammy to play on that record. And then the next drummer they had didn't cut it. And then they had um, Shannon Larkin from, I think he was in Godsmack, and he was definitely in that band Amen. Mm. But the point being, Right. Ross is uncompromising in getting what he wants. And when you're uncompromising, inevitably, somebody gets left on the bad side of the lack of compromise. I know. Um, I know. But, but what, can't, what can't be argued is Ross's records feel a certain way every time. Like, even I know this new used record really divides a lot of people. Um, and, you know, the one thing you could say is, like, they made a hypothesis for what they wanted to do. And they absolutely did it. It sounds like an old school 70s record in production. And they really did not compromise in getting the vibe they wanted to get. It's just, you know, some people want a really polished, overly produced thing from that band. And like the early records. And that's not what they went out to do. Yeah. It's a cup of tea thing at that point. Yes. Yeah. No, I was just curious. I mean, you know, it's it's funny you say that because that's. I mean, that's essentially how I grew up. A lot of the friends I know, Crummit, and all the dudes I grew up with, we were so Mm -hmm. fucking hard on each other growing up. You know, we were bullies. I mean, one of my best Mm -hmm. buds uh, at the time, like, I really resented how he uh, treated me as a drummer. Like, I felt fucking bullied by the whole thing. But to what Mm -hmm. you're saying, it made me the drummer I am today. It made me successful at being a good drummer. And so I, I don't I really don't think I would have gotten there unless I had someone kicking my ass. 
this is the big problem with that word bully is that like, you know, like I always think of like the, the joke of like my generation, I always feel like was like, the parents would be like, I walked five miles to school. You should fucking walk to school. And you're like, shut <laughs> up. We have, car- we have abundance of cars. You're fucking old. Like yeah, this yeah. is dumb. But now the generation that I would say is that's 40 to 50 years old is like, what the fuck are you talking about with bullying? Bullying gave me my character. And people are like, but I also believe people shouldn't, you know, there's a way to challenge people without being hurtful to them. But I think some, right. sadly, what people do to protect themselves a lot of times is they call it bullying. Yeah. Um, or sometimes people are just irresponsible the way they did it. Like, in all honesty, I look back on some of the way I treated some people when I first started producing. and It wasn't nurturing in getting mm-hmm. them to be better. Whereas now I feel like when I have these problems, I'm very nurturing. I make a plan with the person. I'm compassionate. Yep. When I was younger, I'd be like, grow a dick. Let's get this done. Yep. And be totally coarse and rude about it. Right. And right. so I, I get it. But I, I think that the bullying is the method. I think people, one, people need to stop uh, assigning that word falsely. And two, people need to be also come to it from a place of compassion when they really push people, not a place of scorn and embarrassment. Right. I couldn't agree more on all fronts. I couldn't agree more. And it, and it's unfortunate that it's like the, you know, people always talk about uh, the, the trophy for participation kind of culture yes. of, of kids today. Yes. Like my niece and nephew, <laughs> that's what they experienced, dude. It's fucking rough. Mm. Like they're not getting that, um, you know, like to use the word bully, they're not getting that sort of like, you have to win. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. there's well, there's consequences when you lose. And that's it, okay, but you'll learn from it. Yeah, the, the way I see it with, with bullying and stuff, because when I was younger, I was bullied too or whatever. But mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. If, if you, for lack of a better term, if you are the victim of a bad bully, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it like you're a victim or you can look at it, hmm, what can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes. because even though if they're being a dick, you know, it's like, okay, well, He's being a dick in, in, you know, at the drive-ins case, for example, it's like, okay, he's being a dick and I'm, I'm going to improve because of this. So I should probably look at it like an investment and not like it's a, you know, a detriment to my, my ego or whatever. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, in some ways I'd, I'd argue it's not even bullying. It was just more like he needed a good performance and, you know, it's like that there's like that good. Well, yeah, yeah. I think we're, yeah. I just, it was just using the term bullying because that's what we were using, but yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like that funny thing. I think like with record, it's actually like a line I left out of my last book because it's so sensitive, but I, I, I feel comfortable saying it where I could contextualize it with people hearing me and knowing that I'm as far liberal left wing as you get. Uh, like, you know, the end justifies the means only works in Nazism and listening to records. No one cares how you got there as long as it feels good. Like, yeah. yes, there's nerds like us who are going to want to analyze it, but really we hit play. You don't sit there and hit play on records that don't feel good over and over and over again. Of course. And Ross knew he needed to do that. And at the end of the day, that guy has a paycheck for a lot of years of his life because of that. Right. Being people, hard on him and actually being compassionate enough to not, to not keep lobbying for him to be fired. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean – it's sad. There's, there's a. They made a documentary of that record, and it never came out. My ex girlfriend filmed it, and like you see the footage, and it's just like, it's overwhelmingly evident Ross is being the compassionate one in the relationship, and somebody else is not quite being that. How interesting. <laughs> well, I just ha- the reason I brought, it, I just happened to hear a podcast with that drummer Tony, whatever his last name is. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. and, and you know his his take on it is completely obviously from the opposite end. Yeah. He's st- still pretty bummed out by it, 
Um, and this was like oh. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, I mean, he, he, he was an adult. I mean, he wasn't like, oh, I'm still okay. crying about it. But he didn't have a good experience. He still is pretty resentful for it. Um, you know, and I don't know. It, it's it's pretty interesting. Like but I said, I you can look at it agree. one of two ways, you know? Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. think, Jesse, no, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, growing up, like, After Driver was such a huge band for me and my buddies, and the reason it was was because the records turned out fucking great. And if yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And we all know that if the drumming performance isn't the the best it can be, you know, it's the core of a record, so to speak. Like, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Especially with... Especially with a loosey-goosey band like At The Driving, where all the other stuff is just chaos. The drumming yeah, needs yeah. to be super, super on point and solid. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is the thing, too, of that, like, um, you know, it's a, a funny thing. is like Ross doesn't even make records to click tracks. He doesn't. He would edit tape a little bit, but he oh. w- wouldn't do it. Like, literally, the first Pro Tools record he did was the Cure record we did, which is many records after they At The Driving. It's not like this was that type of thing. Holy it's that shit. he needed a real real performance from a drummer playing properly because that's what Ross is into getting. Sure. All right. So so after that, um, so is this all, what age-ish is this for you? Like the mid-20s or so? Oh. Hello, Jesse. He's frozen. He's gone forever. Jesse. Never coming back. Um, so you guys were asking. I was. Yeah. So I was. We we're 26 years old when we did the Cure record, which was 2004. Holy shit, that's crazy. Uh, what an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the best experience of my life. Right. Uh, and right. so, though, right after that, then I entered this phase where I produce pretty much for just myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, uh, I guess really. I do engineer for some other producers still. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then I guess the other major moments of my life uh, were uh, in 2010, I met a band called Man Overboard, oh, and yeah. I had started to blog about the music business. I was kind of blogging about everything, but then the music business stuff, people seemed to really take to because no one was really doing it. Right. I said, I should manage a band. Mm. So that I could actually write about this for real. And they kept begging me to manage them. And I said, yes, since I really liked them. And they blew up and my blog blew up. And uh, from there, I wrote my first book, Get More Fans. Uh, and then after that, I wrote my last book, Processing Creativity, which was more about the last the things I've learned and researched in the last 20 years producing records. When did that book come out? The last one? Uh, literally a 11 months ago today. That's right. So I, I remember the, you talking about it on the podcast. Yeah. Like this time. Yes. Last year. Great, man. What, what yeah. do you, uh, what do you enjoy? Are, is it sort of equal? I mean, you need one, one doesn't exist without the other as far as writing You're, slash producing. Uh, you know, I'm in an interesting thing right now where, um, so I'm not doing, and I'm producing a lot right now, but I'm not, I have no book left in me. Um, so I do not write at all anymore. Interesting. Um, it's, it's literally been a year since I've really even written an article. Right. Um, I think I got everything I have to say that I think no one else is saying is like the reason I wrote both those books is I was unsatisfied with everything else out there. 
every book on the music business I thought was garbage. Um, with still with no exception, I think all of them are terrible. <laughs> so I wrote that book and, uh, with creativity books, there is a few good ones, but none of them were really about music. Mm. Uh, specifically, I think there is different parameters about how you collaborate in music. So I wanted to write one that was about that more specifically. And there, you know, there is actually a decent book about it, but the funny thing is it's written by a record producer, but he specifically tries to stay away from music and make it more broad. And I'm like, I want to do the opposite is make it really towards music and write about this. So, yeah, I just don't know a subject that I want to do that on. So, um, what I actually am doing a lot right now is I, um, which I've also done for a lot of years is I'm a marketing consultant at a lot of different places right now, which, um, Oh, also stimulates me stimulates me a lot so uh, totally I unrelated to music no I, I actually so um the one business uh so we're launching next week is a business called manic merch uh and so manic is the first affordable on-demand printing merch company so basically what it is is bands who Let's say you're a broken up bed or you're a smaller bed or even you're a bigger bed and you don't want to think about merch. We print one T-shirt at a time as it's ordered. So hmm. this is hmm. not totally new, but the problem is like, you know, the, all the companies that do this are so unaffordable that the T-shirts were almost twice as much money as they would be anywhere else. We are the first affordable one. And so it's an old friend of mine who's been doing merch for bands for years and he also ran a record label and, uh, so it makes it so that literally within 10 minutes you could have a merch store. And the other cool thing with this is the you can basically put up a design and fans can choose anything they want to print it on in any color, any size, lighters, anything they want. You put up a design. That design is good for them to choose what they want to put it on. And what we've been seeing, we've been in beta for about two years, uh, is that you make a lot more money when you let fans decide how they want to express well, themselves. Sure, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, that should be launching mid next week. It's looking that way. Um, I work for another company called Gimme Radio as a consultant, which is a traditional radio company, but online streaming integrated into it. Uh, it just for right now is solely, uh, heavy metal. Uh, but they have a lot of cool DJs, everybody from Randy Blythe, of, uh, Lamb of God to Dave Mustaine of Megadeth. Oh, cool. They have all sorts of really cool things and they're doing some really cool stuff. Um, yeah. I'm working, doing a podcast for Atlantic records right now where I go and do a much more in-depth kind of behind the music of an album. Like those classic albums that you used to see on VH1 were kind of like that. Oh, cool. Um, so that'll be out soon. And then, uh, my girlfriend, me and a friend of ours are making a TV show about, all the things in the world that we're, we all know we're being lied to about mm. and what the hell is really going on with them. Ooh, whoa. <laughs> Dude, you yes. are a busy, busy man. And you haven't even mentioned That's... Noise Creators yet and the Noise yes. Creators podcast. Yeah, so I'm still doing Noise Creators every day and I'm still producing. I just got out of the studio with uh, a band called Somos. I uh, just had this big Dr. Demento record, mm -hmm. uh, called Dr. Demento covered in punk that I worked on where I did a bunch of songs with weird Al, uh, Adam West, William Shatner, Whoa. all sorts, all sorts of crazy people. And that's been the number one comedy record on the billboard charts for the last four weeks, I believe. That's fucking awesome, uh, dude. Rest in peace to Adam West. Yes, yes exactly. Was, it was, was really, really awesome to do that, do that track with him. 
He's an amazing spirit for being both him and William Shatner for being in their eighties have more energy oh, yeah. than most year olds I've recorded. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, my grandpa is in his eighties and he can barely move and he, <laughs> yes, you know, it's like, I'm excited if he wants to like watch a baseball game with me, you know, that's energy from him. And the fact that these people are still churning out work at that level is fucking phenomenal. I love it. Yes. Yeah, it re- really was uh, inspiring to go, okay, sure. you know, as, as somebody with a lot of uh, energy, I'm like, all right, we got to sustain this for, oh, wow, twice my life that I've been alive right now. That's going to be rough. So so here's a serious <laughs> question. When do you uh-huh. sl- when do you sleep? You know, it's, he, or do here's you sleep? the funniest, here's the funniest thi- thi- thing, thing about me that everybody who knows me knows the thing. My trick is I sleep more than everybody else. So what it is for me is I really believe that um, if I get a good night's sleep, I don't have all the procrastination and the sluggishness, and I just get everything done really fast. So oh, uh, in wow. all in, in all honesty, That's why I, I keep sleep, getting up at five a.m., um, James. <laughs> but you get enough sleep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, are I, you a morning uh, guy? Am I what? Are you a morning person? No, that's yeah, the other either. thing is I'm I, I, in the morning. I do all the dumbest work because my brain doesn't work. Um, wow. I have the unfortunate thing for my social life that um, between seven and about one a.m. is when my brain works really well. Yeah, so, me uh, too. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah. I've always said yeah, that. So, that's like my my power hour. <laughs> yeah. So when I want to be really creative, that's the time I have to right. do it. So. Yep. Uh, so do you schedule yeah. your studio work during that time as well? You know, there's an interesting thing that I think most of the creative work I do as a producer. So I actually do something very different as a producer these days where I am mostly I mean, there's some bands that like we're not going to have to do a lot of the work on the songs. But any of the bands I'm doing a lot of the work on the songs with, we work remotely first. Um, Mm. So they'll be recording demos and I'm like, all right, we're changing this, this and this. And I don't let a band book time until the songs are in perfect order and we have everything done. So most of my creativity with that is done, but I do tend to do like mastering and like the dumb things in the early day. And then I do my production and the real crux of the creative parts of mixing later at night. Hmm. Interesting. I'm the opposite. (laughs) Mm. Most people are, I mean, it's very, it's very rare. It's very rare. Yeah. Uh, to be like mid, uh, Mid evening is the rarest one of creative of creative flow. Right. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, every so often it's like 10 p.m. and I just get inspired and I just go for it and I'm up till mm-hmm. 5 a.m. But on most occasions, it's for me the peak hours are usually like because like I wake up at five, do my like morning thing that I have, and then mm. usually about like 6:30 or seven, I'll start getting into it, and then about eight o'clock I kick in, and then about four o'clock my mind just kind of shuts off. <laughs> yeah, I usually yes. I usually start hearing from you, Neil, at like eight thirty in the morning. Yep, that's like your okay. I'm mixing. I'm awake, responding to emails. Yep. Yeah. What is it? Tony Robbins calls it his hour of power. I think is what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, so, uh, sort of a broad question for you, Jesse. How mm-hmm. how do you feel about the current state of the music industry? I know it's a huge question, but are you are you relatively positive? you know, for the, f- the future moving forward? Or do you feel like, you know, things are f- falling apart and uh, you better hold on tight? I, I, if I took it on data, uh, 
things are obviously getting better for artists being compensated. There's no doubt checks are up. Uh, we have a horrible problem that Spotify, Apple Music, whoever gets blamed for the fact that the major labels are looting artists. Um, as somebody who gets to see major label royalty statements and DIY bands and indie bands, I, and the problem is, is that contracts are modern day indentured servitude right now. And, uh, I think that will change because the labels are going to have to be more accommodating as DIY bands, you know, for every time there's a chance the rapper who can do it on their own. Right. Um, it gives the major labels less leverage to say you have to bend over and take the bullshit we're feeding you. Yeah. And so I am overall optimistic that things are going to get better for artistry, but there's also like weird things I'm not optimistic about. Like, I think there's like a funny thing of like, uh, you know, music's not me. I just turned 40 uh, a month ago and music is not made for me. Um, so when you look down and you see, you know, I see a Logan or Jake Paul and like all these things and I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm old. Fuck. This is terrible. Like, get me the fuck out of here. Um, I don't see a lot of music going the way I'd like it to see it go, which is, I feel like the more generic it is, the more it's rewarded. And, um, I often even feel while I think authenticity is one of the greatest currencies in music and that most people are being very authentic that get popular. Um, what I do see is that while those people are being authentic, people just want a copy of a copy of a copy of that authenticity. So they want the same 12 people that are being authentic in that way. So yep. for example, um, my friend has like a term she likes to call like a barn choir. So let's call that like a, you know, the Lumineers type thing or whatever. Yeah. I hear, I the hear hey folk bands. I can't tell the difference between yep. tweet that sound like that all the time. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, it, so I tried to look data wise. I looked through the charts. I really tried to see if I do think things have gotten more generic. And like, I really tried to take data thing this and I'm like, you know, I can't deny that I think that we're in some weird consolidation where like, I think it also becomes a problem that the people in the music business, as they get older, like I'm somebody who walks through music business offices a lot. I know that they guess at things because I know you get to an age and you just go, well, what are the kids like? And when you start to hit that thing where it's less people doing their passion and what they really resonates with them and more like they're like, oh, well, I think this will work. Right, you know, right. like I hear it in the meetings I, that I go to. It's like that's awful. you get more generic bullshit. And uh, that is what I'm pessimistic about is that while I do think it's like kind of that Tony Wilson 24 hour party people think of like every bit of history is a wheel. And at one point you're at the top of the wheel and get ready. Cause the mud is coming for you. <laughs> um, you know, I do think that's real, but I also get really scared that, you know, the trend tends to be that the, a lot of the mud stays on the wheel, even at the top. Yeah, I, I totally agree. First of all, that barn choir genre is, is so <laughs> funny to me. It's like the, the, <laughs> The stomping, the stomp clap, and the hey, ho, that yes, fucking yeah, like yeah. sort of country folky, but, uh, I don't know what the fuck that is. And then the other thing I keep, <laughs> the other genre I keep seeing that you were talking about 
it's like they're condensing all genres into one, and that band yes. is Imagine Dragons. Where it's like, oh, yeah, 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 is yeah, it yeah. a pop band? Are they hip hop? Is it electronic? Is it rock? They cover it all. They got it all. It's a little little something for everybody. So it's like, oh. uh, there's just very little risk. There's very little like focus on one thing. You know, it's it is very generic, it, and it covers all spectrums. <laughs> Fucking yeah, irritates I, me. And I, I think that is authentic to them, but that's why people do feel that way. But like, also, like for me, sure. it's like you know. I'd rather fucking gauge, gouge out my ears. Oh, dude, I hate it. <laughs> but I think you you said something earlier that is absolutely true. Music today isn't written for the late 30s to 40 and up no. guy. It's just not. And it should be. It shouldn't it sh- be. It shouldn't be because, because all, also by the time you get to this age, most people are checked out of doing any work to find music. Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, I'm still very passionate about all culture. I am the person who's at the art house movie on opening night. Right, I'm the person who's onto the band before everything else. And like, I know that that's not meant for me and I don't think it should be in all honesty. And, um, I think there's like an interesting thing is that people really like, there's been so many like bad New York times columns written about this, that like, what about me? What about me? It's like, mm. what about, sorry, you? Yeah, 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 like sorry, so, sorry, like no one's in this business to cater to your bland emotions. Like no. that, that's that, that's that, that they're here to be authentic themselves. Mm-hmm. And like honestly, what most people also do when they by the time they've been making art this long, they've lost their passion, they've lost their way, and they've lost like their ability to do authentic and interesting new things because they've lost their naivete. Yeah. And those are essential for making good art. That's why, in general, people in their twenties make the best art. That's right. But with, on that same token, though, I also think. I think a lot of people um, are pretty hard on bands that are older, you know, like the 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 dynasty bands out there, the Rolling Stones, U2, fucking Aerosmith, whatever. It's not my cup of tea. Like, I think obviously Joshua Tree and early U2 is clearly better. There's no there's no sure. argument there. And newer stuff is pretty blase and whatever. Uninspired, fine. But I don't think there's anything wrong with someone pursuing what they enjoy doing until they the day they can't you know just like william shatner and adam west and you know i think i think people can be pretty ageist you know not to use that word but it's true yeah people think that music only belongs to the youth um and i don't know if that's true i i mean but i think it's well earned is most people just make terrible art as they go on like you know like a funny thing for me is like two of my favorite movies uh the past few years are the dance of reality and the other ones in Spanish. I'm not going to remember how to say it, uh, but Alejandro Jodorowsky, whose first movie that he made that was great was before I was even bored. And now he's 84 and made one of the best movies I've ever seen. So cool. And it's the, it's the funny thing is like, yes, you can do that, but it's so the exception, not the rule. And I, I think uh, over and over again, what it really comes down to is that, the hardest thing I kind of like, I write about this in the last chapter of my book on creativity is the hardest thing is not letting like bad thoughts infect your brain as a creator is like so many people want to believe the easy route. And so many people stop challenging themselves. Like, you know, I think of like, you hear these stories of musicians going through great excess. Like I think of like Robert Smith told me this great story of where they were making disintegration Mm -hmm. of that. 
He would not speak to anybody about anything he felt. Like, he could ask you to pass the salt. He could say, you know, I think that guitar is out of tune. But he's not going to talk about himself. And the whole time he did disintegration, he did that so that every time he got on the microphone, he was so desperate to express himself. That's crazy. Now, most people would say that is one of the most emotionally tense recordings they've ever heard. And he used the methodology to get there. And it's the same thing like Daniel mm. Day-Lewis does. Like everybody that. Right. Yeah. Like makes fun of him for not breaking character for a year and a half on a movie at yeah, times. Sure. And it's like yeah, that's super intense. But what you see over and over again is artists go, I got this. Let's vote it in. I've done this a million times. Right. It's just part of a routine. And then it's no wonder why it's not special and interesting. And I think like one of the hardest things you do, like I, you know, I just did a record uh, that'll remain nameless. Uh, mm. But uh, I think it came out really well, but it was with people who were literally uh, 23 to 66 years old. What and the ages span of that. But the interesting thing was, is the guy who's 66 in the band has literally is credited for being like one of the in innovators of two different musical genres. And what was interesting is because you had people who were fresh in this thing, they really kept the complacency of the old people uh, at bay. Uh -huh. And right. I thought it was such an interesting thing to see that like, when you have the naivete, they're like, we are trying new things they haven't done before. We're doing all these things. And it, like, it really did give a spirit because honestly, I, you know, I do tons of legacy act records. Like, obviously it's like a look through my discography. There's a lot of bands that were formed before I was born. And usually it's like, let's get this over as fast as possible. Rip the fucking bandaid off. Let's go. Not let's look at the cut and really find how it bleeds and what that sounds like. Right. And um, I think that that's the problem is it just becomes how do we keep sustaining this check, not how do I keep expressing myself authentically and passionately? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. So with all that in mind, where is where do you see Jesse Cannon in the next five to ten years? <laughs> oh, fuck. You know, you said you, you're out of you're out of writing material. Sound Somebody who, yeah, I'm a month uh, past 40. Uh, there's a lot of options right now. Um, mm -hmm. In all honesty, uh, I am not one of those people who needs to just make records, obviously. Uh, I would be highly doubtful if I'm producing records in 10 years from now. Uh, I just need a challenge. Uh, so You said it'd be highly doubtful I, if you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... In all, in all honesty, like I really also, I, you know, I have two great producers who work in my studio and a lot of the time I get them to track the band and produce the band and I might have an overall thing and I might come in and say, whoa, guys, seven minute song. Really? We thought that was a good idea. Um, and do those things. But like, I will just be there for the mixing and the mastering a lot of the time because I am not going to have the passion to do the same record I've done a million times. I'm very lucky that um, I have enough work that when I choose to really go in on a record um, that I can go down that road and like really like, you know, with this Somos record, we just did six months of just working on the songs remotely mm -hmm. and threw away triple what we recorded. Um, wow. cause we want to make a record that one is super poppy and two doesn't sound like anything else. Sure. And so that's a high price to do. And we have to use high standards to get there. And I want to be able to do that stuff. 
but I don't think 10 years from now I'm going to even have the patience for that because I don't think I'm going to be challenged. Like the, what I have to basically do now is reinvent things so I'm still challenged. And part of writing my last book, Processing Creativity, was going – like I had a realization when I wrote that book that like – producers love thinking they know so much about the creative process and they know all this stuff and sure you can be good at your job but in all honesty most of the stuff i read i learned was so wrong and there were so many toxic things that are commonplace with record producers even good record producers and there was a lot of science where you could learn like how to really get the best results out of people that i never hear anybody talking about in production today mm. um so I think there's always like this place to go deeper and maybe I'll find that place. But what I see myself doing, I know is this is being really, really challenged. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, I, I like being honest. I don't know what that's going to look like right sure. now. Um, right now, cause I'm not writing, doing marketing stuff is really interesting. I've always worked in marketing. Um, when I've managed bands, like I'm convinced your job really is the marketer and, uh, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting to me right now. And I did I obviously did all the marketing for my books. I've been a marketing consultant on a bunch of startups, noise creators, obviously. And uh that's seeming more interesting to me than doing another band that's just gonna go, Okay, songs, do you just put harmonies on top of these courses? That's what we do, right? Yeah. It's the thing we do, right? <laughs> right. And, and there's the having that conversation. Yeah, having that conversation again is not something I'm uh, looking forward to. Mm. I've been having that conversation for 20 years of going, no, we emotionally fill in this to accentuate it. We don't need to do harmonies if it doesn't make the emotion <laughs> stronger. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not to switch the gears here uh, before we go, we'll uh -huh. go on a little break in just a second. Um, I just wanted to note one of the podcasts I enjoyed the most on the Noise Creators mm -hmm. list of episodes was the one you did with Johnny Minardi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's I his mean, last Johnny, name, right? Johnny and I, yeah, yes, yes. Johnny and I, Johnny and I know how to talk to each other, dude. That that was a really helpful podcast for me and for a few people I know. When you guys broke down points, Neil, that's uh -huh. a really beneficial mm -hmm. podcast to listen to. Um, yeah, and I, I've actually referred to it a few times. Like, I've just gone back and oh, okay, wait. So it's it's this percentage. It's not that big of a deal to ask a band. Um, anyway, I just, I just wanted to applaud that episode. It's great. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, you know, the one I used to do with Zach Zarillo who runs brand news label, um, Zach and I tried to do a lot of that and I kind of really missed that. So that's interesting to hear. Cause I keep thinking about like, Dude, it's do really I want to do another, do yeah. I want to do another podcast that like, kind of like breaks down the things I don't think people are talking about. Cause that's always the mm -hmm. thing I'm looking for is like, what are, what do people want to know that no one's talking about? Like actual value, real advice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, even like, you know, when I first started stateside, I mm. like I grew up playing in music and I was always around producers and studios, but I wasn't absolutely concrete on how all of the deals actually happened. Like as far mm -hmm. as getting deposit down, you know, how many payments are is expected, uh, just the invoicing process and all that stuff. So listening to your podcast was really helpful. Really helpful. Well, it's a it's a funny thing too because I think there's more chaos than ever because there is this nice thing that like you can be a total amateur and do great work these days, yep. and then you just do the thing stuff. And like what I see, I mean, it's so funny because like obviously with noise careers, we do so many deals for so many different producers that like it's crazy sometimes to see uh, the weird methodology some people are working in, and 
there are best practices for sure. And there's things that make things go smooth and make a client feel comfortable while also giving the, well, in this case, the producers, the artist, uh, I think a lot, uh, but like giving everybody the things they need, uh, to feel artistically nurtured and not like they might get ripped off. Mm. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody working on your record and thinking, what if I don't get paid for that? Uh, you know, maybe I'll take lunch now and go hang yeah. out with my significant <laughs> other instead. Cause I might get ripped off. Whereas if the money is just sitting there and then you feel like you owe them something, but then there's the other side is there's the bad personality that they're paid all in front. They go, Oh, another job just came in. I'll push this one off for a while. Right. So like learning how to motivate people with like, all right, I have half the money. I'm not going to deliver that half until this part of the parts until I have the final payment. And that's no. it, it, it. There's some best practices that make everybody work better and trying to figure those out. Uh, I think is really, really helpful. Yep. Agreed. Maybe I should, maybe I should write about that. Mm, I, I think you should. I don't even just do the blog again or start a podcast yeah. breaking down those, you know, instead of doing a chapter in a book, you just do an episode. Um, that might be the thing. Yeah, I think so. Massive well, I, action. I think now is a good time to do our uh, our uh, ritualistic pee break that we do. So great because I have to do that. Yeah, me too. So let's go do that. Let's say what ten minutes ish. Does that work for you? Whatever you whatever you want. I will be in front of this thing once I pee. Yeah, less than ten. Why minutes. not while you're peeing? That's my question. <laughs> Just bring it in with you. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, we are we are in a real modern era. There you go. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back in a few. Okay. Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. That was a successful pee break. Would you guys all agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we had <laughs> empty bladders, full hearts, empty bladders. Nice. <laughs> Have you ever seen Friday Night Lights? It's a really I, I You know what's funny? Is guilty pleasure what, show. I, 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 am, I am a really, really abundant TV watcher as well, which goes against my people think I never sleep thing. Uh, I see all TV. <laughs> yeah. I've not seen that. It's wor- it, It's actually way better than it should be. But uh, the, one of the sort of mottos is "clear eyes, full hearts," and that's what the coach yes, always says. I, I know this. I know this one. <laughs> um, well, this point in the podcast, we typically do some current events, talk cool. about a few things that are going on in the world. Um, I'd like to start it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I lost eleven cents in the stock market today. Oh no! <laughs> <Whoa>. You poor thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just hope it was. I, I just as long as long as it's not about uh, Facebook advice of Bitcoin, I'm good with it. Oh no, <laughs> definitely not cryptocurrency. That's for damn sure. Yes, it, yeah, yes, real yes. casual stuff. We're not going to get super deep and political and fuck. There's enough of that going on right now. That's good. I was, ju- I, was, I, was ju- I was just I was just I was just la- la- laughing at Trump saying take the guns before you take them to court. So that's good. Yeah, I was laughing and thinking he said that he would have rushed into the school or something. Oh yeah, but, I don't yeah. Know. The guy- the, the guy the guy who's the guy who's scared of the eagle the draft dodger because <laughs> yes, yes. his ankle hurt or some shit his bone spurs yeah, yeah. bone spurs yeah mm-hmm. all right uh what you got drew and andrew will usually lead this all right this is cool i don't think we ever talked about this but uh more artists are starting to use um a company called yonder to uh-huh. lock cell phones at shows uh-huh. Uh-huh. oh wow and uh, this is a rolling one of the current one uh jack white's gonna use on his next tour you know dave Chappelle always uses it 
Uh, Rogan just started using it for his shows. I think it's really awesome. What does it mean? What does it it's do? A, it's a little pack where you put your phone in wow. and it locks. So you, once you're like in the um, auditorium or wherever it's at, it's locked. But you can go out to the lobby and it unlocks, you know? If you have to, hey, you have to take a call. Oh, so it says here, Yonder adds roughly $2 to every ticket price and provides its own staff. So as you buy a ticket, you're issued one of these things? Is that how it works? I'm not exactly like as you sure come to yes. the door? So, 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 so I've, been, I've been to a show with, a, with not with Yonder, but another one of them. Really? And what it, bas- it, what it basically does is it, it's just like when your dog is on the invisible fence. Uh, <laughs> while you're uh, uh, in the confines of the building... The box is locked, but if you walk out of the building, it unlocks, and you just you you pay a deposit, deposit, and then you return the box at the end to get your deposit back. Uh, they also took our driver's license when we went to do this. Uh, I was at an NDA to listen party of something, and uh, it was pretty interesting. I thought it was really uh, well done, but what I think is the creepiest thing, and I don't get why they can't just do this, is have you guys ever been to a museum in one of the rooms where your camera won't work? No, no, like uh, your so phone gr- cameras. Yeah, like my girlfriend and I, we go, I like we go see art. Like there's no tomorrow. She's oh, really no. Obsessed. I actually no. I say that I have. I went to the Louvre in Paris, and the same thing uh, happened for us. And that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Like we we uh, have been to a couple places where all of a sudden your camera. If you go to use your camera, it's just black. How do they um, possibly do that? Well. Apparently, what it is is there's something built into the iPhone that uh, they can have something that sends the signal that you're not allowed to photograph in this room. So I'm mm. kind of like, all right, if we're calling this legal, but apparently what it is is Apple or Samsung, whoever we want to say, uh, doesn't want to get into the thing of like what happens when there's an Ariana Grande sh- shooting and no one can call 911. Right, right. That is, so, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's, but, yeah. So, so, but there's the other thing is too, is you could make it, it's only an emergency mode. You could just make that the phone blocks out for something, everything but that. So it makes it more that Apple could do that. But like, I think they just don't mm. want to bear the responsibility. But in all honesty, I mean, I don't think many of us are going to complain. No. Uh, if, uh, okay with it. you know, we don't, yeah, if we don't have to do it. Like, I, I will actually say, so I saw uh, the Jawbreaker reunion show last night. Oh, fuck yeah. And I was... That's what I'm going to after this as Hell well. Yeah. Uh, um, I was shocked how respectful everybody was. Well, it's because it's it's is the it, age, I think, right? Yeah, it's it is, that it part is of the it? age. Well, that was going to be my next. I think it was, sorry, the, the, oh. your next question with like what you've experienced with it. I mean, how did how did how did the fans take it? I mean, were they pretty up and roar about it? I feel like the younger generation would be like, "What the f is this." Well, so what was a really interesting thing for me is I kept being moved in my seat that night. Um, I knew the promoter. So, like, they were like, oh, could you just do this, 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 mm-hmm. and It's like, oh, I want to introduce you. You should sit next to this person. Oh, wait, he's annoying. Okay, you go over here. <laughs> but one of the women I sat next to was just a date, and she did not like the artist. And she was fucking livid. She couldn't kill time on Snapchat. Right. Fucking livid. So sure. I think there's that thing of, like, it does uh, – what do you call it uh, – it is going to be that thing of like, I mean, we've all been to the show where we'd rather be on our cell phone. Well, of course. What of course. I'm what I'm thinking about is the the younger <laughs> the a lot of people of my generation too are like, they go to shows and the whole time they're just like Snapchatting, Instagramming their experience with it, and like that's like they're not even watching the show at that point. They're just like documenting the experience on these social media accounts, and I feel like that's like 
the norm for a lot of people. So, like, I, I picture, you know, like somebody like my sister's age, for example, you know, she likes to go to shows and take a lot of pictures and videos and mm-hmm. upload that stuff. So, like, I, w- I would picture her in an uproar, like, what the hell is this? Why do I have to put this? Because, like, the whole point they go to these things is to document it with their phone now. Yeah, I was just reading a p- part of the article, like, EDM artists are complaining about it because, like you just said, they w- encourage their fans to be active and to tag the show, post about it on Instagram, whatever. Well, it's publicity for them, I think, in their mind. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think it depends on the band, but, right? But, well, well, I think... The thing is, obviously, the band out of the should So, like, I think of an FKA Twigs who makes, or like a Sophie who does some of the most stunning visuals mm. you've ever seen. What makes their shows go viral, and makes them big, is people sharing it. Like, mm. but like, so I went to before LCD Sound System put out their new record. They did like a week of shows in Brooklyn, and he really stringently is like, "We're about to play the new songs. You put your fucking phone up. It's, right. We stop." Right. And somebody put their phone up and he literally just pointed and was like, why are you doing this? Why right. are you ruining this for everybody? Yep. person put it right down. And I went to the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah show at the Barclays Center, which I think was 30,000 people, where they just put signs everywhere. And I didn't see a single person use their phone. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, stand-up comics have that problem because they what they do is they go tour <laughs> around for six months to a year building up a, mm. a set that so they can do a special. And th- what they're doing is they're, they're workshopping... Mm this this uh the bits right and so if you were to record that on your phone and post on youtube it's not a finished idea it's like posting a band you know right in the writing process where they're they're fucking up they're doing that riff over and over and over the drummer can't get the fill right like it's just it's not fair to that and then you're blowing the the surprise when they put out that special yeah no i get it from the artist's perspective i'm just curious how the, the yeah, fans no, are gonna sure. take it i think i think like just said it just depends on the band it depends on the context and the culture of that performance like a band like tool is gonna be really adamant about something like that i would imagine you know they want a unique experience a unique show uh you know pay attention to the visuals and you're in the moment um so i i dig it man if, yeah, i think same here yeah i dig it it's 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 an extreme uh, solution to the problem, but it is it's fucking annoying, man. You go to these shows and half the audience has their goddamn arm up and they're watching the show through a little screen. It it, it, it really is. Um, the more you go to a concert where there's normies at, the worse it is. Um, <laughs> yes. when, I, I went and saw I went and saw Lord on her first tour, and it literally. I'm not an angry person, and it filled me with thoughts of murder. <laughs> oh, especially, I'm, I would imagine, with her demographic. I mean, she was 17 yeah, on that first tour, right? Yeah. 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 And so it was millennial. And, and literally, the, the one that really sets me off is the one where people get you do a picture or they film where they turn their back to the stage and they get in the picture. So it's like, oh, you know, look at me with this little uh, – you know, monument I'm standing next to, and it's like, mm. fucking die, mm. fucking die. It's the worst. Yeah. All right, Andrew, what else you got? I guess Kevin Smith had a was hospitalized after suffering a massive heart attack at yeah. the taping of a special after his second show. Dude, that's, that's crazy. Did you hear about that, Jesse? Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I, I, I'm a big fan of that man. And, Me too. Uh, the the one ch- chance I got to hang out with him, he was one of the smartest, most interesting, sweet men. So I feel really bad for him. Mm. And yeah, it wasn't like in between a set, two sets or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, he did his first show and then like started like sweating like buckets of sweat and then uh 
had a puke and stuff, and he did not feel good, so they canceled it and rushed him to a hospital, luckily. And, and wasn't he, like, filming a special that night? Yeah, he did the first part of the special, or, you know, one Holy filming. The first shit. show was filmed in this, between the second to the second one, yeah. I watched a live Facebook video that he put out yesterday, I believe, updating everyone on his, his, his experience. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, 20 minutes long, but, dude, it was just so intense. And and he was saying that like he felt pressure in his chest, but it didn't hurt, you know. And he mm. kept thinking like, "Did I drink bad milk? I'm so nauseous." And he was just so surprised. It was like a massive heart attack. God damn. And uh, he almost died. I mean, like the doctor in that Glendale hospital, uh, you know, saved his life. According to him, it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, good guy, man. Yeah. How did you meet him? Jesse, how'd you meet him? My ex-girlfriend's aunt directed that... Uh, is it Weird Science? I think she directed... Um, the 80s movie? She directed... Yeah. So she was one of the first famous female uh, directors. And so her aunt directed that. That's not her, though, because that's John Hughes. Yeah, I was going to say uh, John maybe Hughes. Real Genius or something? I'm going to... Uh, I'm so... Yeah. Um, doing my Googles. Um... Yes, real genius. So Kevin Smith did a thing at Lincoln Center. Oh, where with he Val Kilmer. That's of, like early Val Kilmer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So he uh, did a retrospective of movies he liked mm-hmm. and selected her to come speak. And so since it was my girlfriend's aunt, we got to go to the dinner afterwards and oh, hang out cool. with him. And he was, I mean, it really is just that thing of like, you know, I grew up, I was 17 when Clerks came out. So like, sure. that was a very big moment. And it was also Jersey where I grew up. So Oh, I can um, imagine. It was very yeah. cool, and he was just so cool about answering even the geekiest of <laughs> like creative questions about everything, and was just like, kind of seemed like he couldn't have been happier doing it. And you're like, I'm sure he's done this a million times, right? So yeah, I've, that, I've, I think I, I dig his movies, man. I mean, like Mallrats was huge for my generation. Mallrats, Chasing Amy, <laughs> even though there's like yeah. super cheesy schmaltzy moments in that movie, Chasing Amy is a fucking great film. It's, it's I agree. It's a classic. It's kind of dated and like um anyway, whatever, but it's it's yeah. fucking great. And uh Dogma yeah. is one that a lot of people don't bring oh, up. Yeah. Dogma is really good. I even liked uh, Red State that he did in recent years. I just saw it. I was totally blown yeah. away. I mean, that didn't even feel like a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, I, I thought you did a really great job on that. The one I haven't seen is the sort like the monster one. Um it's supposed to be kind of campy and funny. Um, fuck, what's do you know what I'm talking about, Drew? It's um, what, who's in it? Uh, let's look this up. What are you talking about? Wait, what? Tusk. Tusk. Right? That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, I haven't seen. The, I haven't it? seen this. Yeah, I, have, awesome. I highly recommend it. It has like bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but oh, I don't give good. a fuck because those kind of movies aren't supposed to be critically acclaimed. <laughs> Jane Silent Bob, yeah. isn't that one? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's, it's doing it's it's yeah it's doing pretty damn bad on Rotten Tomatoes. Jeez. Yep, sure is. Um. Yeah. Well, I I hope he gets better. I hope he. Yes. He, same. He, he's good. Hey, what? A, and he's such a fucking worker too. The amount of shit that that guy turns out is unreal. He's got that show on after uh, The Walking Dead. Yep. He's got like seventeen podcasts. He's a writer, a stand-up comic. Obviously, he writes screenplays and directs movies. He's he's a beast. He's awesome. All right, what else you got, Andrew? 
All right, a mother-daughter combo fight off a robbery in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, God, I saw this video. That's right. That's right. So I I sent this to you the other day. Well, you can't see this, Jesse, but... uh, I'll watch. Oh. Hey, hey, pause it, Andrew. Let's look at Jesse. We'll line it up with him. It's, um... Let's see here. How would he find it? Yeah, mother, mother, daughter story. You got that ABC? Okay, go ahead. I got it. Here's ABC Zachary Keish with the late details. This is so crazy. He was armed and dangerous. Police say that's a thief strapped with a shotgun robbing this Tulsa, Oklahoma liquor store. It looks like he's about to get away with it. But watch. As the crook turns away, the mother-daughter duo grab guns of their own. Watch how many times this guy gets shot. takes aim and fires (laughs) multiple rounds. I saw the shotgun, I saw him, and I just started to shoot. The alleged robber returns, shot in the leg. (laughs) Oh, my God. give up. We were still going. He shot again. Oh my, oh my god. Just empty the gun. Empty the gun. Empty the gun. Terrifying. Oh. Terrifying. Yeah. Well, anyway. So did he survive or what? Uh, he did. He Jesus. ended up surviving. He got shot like ten times. <laughs> Not to glorify the the fucking dickhead, but goddamn, I mean that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I don't know. If I got shot once, I'd probably just curl oh, up in a ball and dude, start if crying. You, if you spit on me, I'd cry. <laughs> Jesus, I don't want to be shot with a BB gun. Anyway, this is. This is the, this is why I'm so glad that contrary to popular belief, there's literally no shootings in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, well, especially now, right? It's uh, lo- lowest crime rate in recorded history a- a per capita. That's wow. so cool, uh, Jesse. This is kind of random, off topic, but sort of related. To Brooklyn. Do you ever listen to a podcast called The Last Podcast on the Left? Have you ever heard? I of that? I, I, I I actually do listen to that podcast. Oh, I'm actually my- cool. My, uh, my, uh, my, you know, I, I've been asking people this question lately of like, what's the thing that you're really into that's not music? And, yeah. um, mine, mine is politics. I'm a huge, huge political nerd. So do you, do you listen to that other, the other podcast that, um, what's his name? The guy that's like, what are the three names? Um, Marcus. Yeah, I, I have not listened to any of their other podcasts. It's called like Abe Lincoln's about. Top Hat or something like that is the name of the yes, other podcast. Yes, yes, yes. And that's a political one where him and Marcus do. But yes. anyway, yeah, um, I, I just I, they always talk about Brooklyn. And that guy is yes. running for like the the like the chairman of Brooklyn. I forget what's the, you know, a city council yes. seat. Yes, or something city like council. That. Yeah, yeah. Yes, my, 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 my one friend, Justin, who was in the band's uh, Indecision and Most Precious Blood, uh, two hardcore bands. He just won city council seat here. Oh, uh, awesome. <laughs> That's fucking rad. It's re- 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 was really the most amazing thing is watching the campaign ad the Republican made against him, where they're like, "Look at this guy. He's in a punk band. Yeah. How could we have him in government?" Right. right oh right. gosh, it's amazing. And of course, he took the beat the Republicans ass, and he's doing already. He's been in office for thirty days and is already doing amazing things. That's cool. 
Yeah. Uh, moving on. What else you got, Drew? Have you seen this one? This came out like over a month ago. But uh, it's a security guard who comes in uh, with the armed robbers had a fake gun, and he comes in just shooting them. So the arm, the robber has a fake gun. Yes. Yeah, these guys. Just got a fake gun. Thank you. Then what? Uh, security guard shoots robber holding a 7-Eleven with a fake gun. Mine is real. Yeah. Whoa. It comes in like a cowboy. Holy shit. <laughs> That's amazing. Woo. He's got a revolver. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, like how would he know that? Mine's is real. <laughs> Whoa. I don't give a flying fuck. Yeah, he's hood as fuck, man. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, good for him. Jesse, my guess is you didn't see that on your end. I think I actually saw this on Jesus and Marrow. <laughs> you guys so watch crazy. that? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. It's on Vice. That is that. That is this my my fa- favorite TV show. It's on Vice. Is that what you said, Andrew? Vice. Land. Yes, it's on oh, Vice cable station. Yep. Dude, I love Vice. I love Vice Sports. I love Viceland. I love uh, all that shit. A lot of interesting content. Of inter- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really uh, fun. Yeah. I, I think that the Jesus and Marrow are, are changing TV. It's the uh, the update of what a late night show should really be. Oh, I'll go check it out for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, anything else, Andrew? That's all I got. That's all you got. All right. Well, cool. Those are a good couple of good ones. Um, well, at this point, Jesse Cannon, our... Mm-hmm. Our guest, if I, that's I like, your real name. If that's your real name, <laughs> but what is you know, I often I, I I often get accused of it being a porn name, and that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does sound like a porn name. What would be your porn kind of name? I mean, I, I you know, it's funny. My girlfriend and I, we both joke that uh, our na- real names are our porn names, and because uh, her name is Emmeline Bone. <laughs> no <I'm> like, way, <laughs> you're kidding me. Yeah, so Je- Jesse Cannon and Emmeline Bone starring in dot dot dot. Emily Bone hyphen Cannon. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Starring in process and creativity. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is Cannon? What kind of surname is that? Like, what's the? Uh, so it was it was it, it was O Cannon. Oh, there you go. Of course. Yeah. Oh, and I... then Ellis Island got to us. Andrew, we next podcast. Let's let, we'll read my DNA thing. Oh, nice. I did right, the. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I just got you, it back. Which, which one did you do? I did Ancestry or something. I, it was a gift for Christmas. So I wanted to do the I, other one. But watch, you're not Irish at all, are you? I'm incredibly Irish <laughs> and very white <laughs> and European. I, I did 23 Me, and there, there were some, definitely some shocking things in there. I know. Like I found out I was Norwegian or uh, Scandinavian. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah, we'll, we'll do well, next podcast. I'll bring it over and we'll, uh, we'll dissect it. We should all do it, guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be I'm awesome. already pretty confident on what I am, though. You'd be surprised. I'm pretty man. much. You know, 50, you, you, know, you know, everybody I know who's confident in what they are gets the things. Like one of my friends yep. just found out that she's not the least bit Hispanic, and uh, <laughs> uh, she thought she was Hispanic. Yeah. Or Lithuanian. I don't know. I was drunk, um, but she was not <laughs> a least bit uh, Hispanic. She was always told she was. And then, right. well, the most common thing is people are told that they're a little bit Native American, and then that's n- totally not the case. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, now I'm gonna have to do it because I, I am under the impression, uh, and I have pretty damning evidence for this, but I'm half Native American, Cherokee, and then half Irish. Oh. So, mm. Okay. Um, I'm gonna have to do it. Then. The most strong, interesting, yeah. the most interesting thing with the 23andMe thing for when I did it was um, 
I was always one of those people like, you know, how record producers, they just drink coffee all day. I can't do that or else I'm up for a month. Oh. And when they tell you when you get tested, how um, all these percentages about like how much more sensitive you are to things than other people. Mm-hmm. I found out I'm more sensitive to caffeine than 99.9% of people they tested. What part oh, of your and, DNA uh, is that? I mean, who knows what part it is, but oh, they, they don't, also they don't tell you while. They don't tell you which which ethnicity does that, but uh, okay. what they do tell you is that. And then I learned, like, yes, I'm that person that if I drink ca- uh, a cup of coffee after 2 p.m., I'm up for a month. Wow. So t- does 23andMe tell you? Because I don't think I got that information on mine. Uh, if you do 23andMe and you pay for the more expensive one, you get all sorts of oh, crazy okay. stuff. Um, they gotcha. used to even give you – I think they're not allowed to do it anymore, but they used to give you propensities towards cancer in your genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's horrifyingly accurate. Um, cool. In my, and from what we saw in my family. I mean we did it very early on when they first came in and then they got in some trouble with the government. But I think they're allowed to do a lot of that with a lot of different diseases now. What uh what what does twenty three me run like how much is that? It's like a oh it's under hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, it's, oh. The the Ancestry yeah, one's on sale for like sixty five bucks right now. Well, I want to do the twenty three me because I want to see that kind of shit. Do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, I it's really fun. Um. Okay. So yeah, we'll do our other segment. So this is called rapid fire questions, Jesse. It's okay. just another excuse. Whoa! Just Whoa. another excuse to ask you more questions. Clearly, okay. That's all it is. And it's also not very rapid ever. So okay. <laughs> the idea when we first started was to do like quick, quick answers. It never happens. Yeah, it I never always works. end up interrupting you and we talk about that answer for five minutes. Um, yes. So but it's not so We rapid. always try to make it rapid. Though. We try. We always try. So do try. And I always have to do this, this preface first. Right. It's never rapid. Okay. Rapid fire questions with Jesse Cannon. Number one. What do you enjoy more, dot, 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 producing or mixing? Mixing by far. Yeah, just about everyone says that. I think we had, yeah. who was that, Andrew? One producer said producing. Oh, it was Crummit. Yeah, it was Chris Crummit. Chris Crummit. I will do, do this qualification, pre-production over production. Right. I like work, I like working on the songs, but not having to actually sit there and hit the space bar. That's Neil's one of his yeah. greatest strengths, I would say. Aww. Would you agree? Strengths? You called oh. it a strength. Yeah, it's, it's your thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Number two. <laughs> I guess you already answered this. Well, I'll just ask you anyway. Coffee mm-hmm. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, co- co- coffee in the morning, oh, okay. and then if I need some something more, uh, matcha in the afternoon because it's not as intense mm. a caffeine high. Matcha, where do you get that? Uh, I'm in Brooklyn. I can get that. Like <laughs> if I walk out my door, there's three places within two blocks. Jesse, is matcha the stuff that's from South America? Is that it's actually Japan? It's J- Japanese. So what the difference is uh, is it's, it's time released caffeine, but it also has lethanine, which means that when you drink it, you don't get all jittery. Okay. Mm. Do you know, do you listen to Tim Ferriss podcast ever? That's that, that's literally where I learned about gotcha, it. Gotcha. Because he always talks about that. And I keep meaning to try it. Yes. He, yes. Huge Tim um, Ferriss fan. We're in Portland. We gotta have it somewhere. Oh, clearly. Yeah. I, I was I was gonna say you guys definitely have it all over Portland. Okay. Um, but, but you definitely have to have coffee in the morning. I mean, that's like a must. Oh yeah. I, 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 for years I, cause I'm so sensitive to the caffeine and before I even knew how sensitive I was, no. I used to just do pure caffeine pills. Mm. 
<laughs> if I didn't have enough, wow, I'd feel like shit. But if I had too much, I'd also feel like shit. So I would just get a regular dose. Now I just go to the same coffee place or make my own each day and do it in really regimented amounts. What? What? How do you drink coffee? What's your What's your jam? Only iced coffee. Okay. Uh, and only one cup black. Mm, so just black and iced. Good to go. But 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 I will say this: I I do mess with every once in a while doing the MCT oil and the grass fed butter for the bulletproof coffee. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I keep hearing about that. I know, like the Rogan crowd, they always talk about that. Why? Uh, why only iced? Uh, you know, I don't like hot drinks. Oh. Um, ironically, I eat tons of uh, uh, tons of ramen, but I don't really like hot, and uh, I don't like to drink my drink hot. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you? Are you a lighter roast guy, or do you like dark roast? No, dark roast. Dark. Okay. I'm kind of into blonde roast right now. Does that no, make, does that I mean, I I, I mess with that. It's good, man. No, I, it's good. I, I'm, I'm into that too. Of just, you know, it's not my daily though. Yeah, I don't. A little I, spice of life. Yeah, I, I just don't discriminate against just coffee. coffee. If, like if coffee. it's coffee, it's coffee. Yeah. yeah. All right, number three, favorite type of food. Uh, ramen. I eat. <laughs> I eat. Yeah, I, I, I eat an inordinate amount of Japanese food. Um, we have really mm. good Japanese food in this neighborhood. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I have to just just say it's funny though because when I say Japanese food, I don't mean sushi at all because I barely eat sushi, but I, I eat tons of Japanese. Okay, so you yes. like you like soupy, steamy noodles, delicious stuff. Gotcha. A lot of is a lot of and then there's a oh. lot of um like really experimental Japanese places here that do lots of crazy things. And um I guess I do eat a lot of Szechuan too. So I guess those are yeah, those are the related things. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm right right on track with you. I love Asian food. Nice spicy Asian food. Yes. That's yeah, that's thought. where I should say is just say 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 is Asian. Like we we're we're really lucky. Um so one of the bands I record uh is this band Narcs, which is Chris Conley and Jeff Rickley. And then my friend Danny Buyan, who's a famous chef who has a place called Mission Chinese here and in San Francisco. And uh, that's my favorite restaurant is Love his it. place. And they have a really awesome record coming out in a few months. Um, of, sounds sounds like the first Beastie Boys record, but if Saves the Day wrote it. Awesome. Hmm. We got a couple more for you, and then we'll, we'll cut you loose. I know you got to get going. Awesome. All right. Uh, number four, if you could travel to one place in the world, where would it be? Like right now, like you, you and your girlfriend right now. get tickets to go anywhere. Where, where would you guys go? Probably Japan so I could eat. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I've never been. I, I, I've always I, wanted I, to go. Yeah. Same, same. And I love to eat. Okay. Number five, burrito or taco? Taco. Good man. Good answer. Number six, if you could go to space, would you? No. Mm. My wife is obsessed. Yeah. She's like all about that shit. She can't wait until uh, what's his ass Tesla Tesla dude. Yeah, Elon Musk. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It's too yeah, terrifying. I, I'm, 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 I'm more on the like. Uh, I'm more stimulated by learning than experiences. Interesting. Yeah. So I like. I have no interest in skydiving. I don't fucking. Oh, want no. to. Wouldn't oh. going to space be quite the experience though? Well, that's what he's yeah, saying. but like, are you going to learn as much as like just reading a really good book? Like, that's my thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, like I get gotcha. my more out of like just reading a book than like 
anytime I go, like, you know, it's like, if I go for a hike, it's like, and you know, some new place, it's just not the same. Yeah. And I'm incredibly claustrophobic. Like that's why being yes. in a submarine sounds awful. Being oh, in a yes. fucking Oof. spaceship sounds Oof. awful. Good Lord. Oof. Submarine guy. I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. A couple of podcasts ago, Jesse, we read a current event about a guy that took down a girl into his own private submarine and then allegedly Oof. murdered her. <laughs> oh, I think I do know about this. This is the reporter yeah. who got murdered. Yep. Yeah, there you yep. go. Yeah, Fucked I up do story. know this one. <laughs> okay. Horrifying. All right, number seven. Would you rather be blind or deaf? You have to choose one, dot, dot, dot. That's a good one. De- definitely blind. Okay. Yeah, because music, right? Yeah. You just got to... Yeah. I mean, I think it's also just fun- 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 functionally for uh, learning, you know... I mean, you can just keep listening, keep communicating, you know, whereas yeah. blind, not so much. I think. Or, sorry, deaf. I think I would prefer to be deaf if I had a pick. I mean, I mm. know that excludes music, my number one passion in life, but I just need to see. It would make me feel very isolated. And I don't know. That's a hard one. I would, I would choose being deaf as well because I could still communicate because I know English. But, you know, and like you can even from my understanding, when you are deaf, you can still kind of read people's lips. You know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like I could still communicate. But no more music. You can't be a producer anymore. Done. Gone. I, I would find a way. Yeah. I would just find a way. How about you, Andrew? Sure there's a what way. would you do? Blind. I'd, I'd like to be able to hear. You'd rather hear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 know, I, know, I know two producers who are deaf in one ear. Really? Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Wow, and they, so, and they do great work. They do they do great work still. That's really cool because I, I would imagine that the stereo thing would be really difficult to do. I guess that's just mono at that point, right? Like you're just yeah, but interpreting you, you, it. You, you know, it's a really. I think there's like a really funny thing though with like uh, music that that too that like you kind of already know where you're panning. So let's say you can get past yeah. the little bits of just like doing things like I think about my mixing style. It's like sure i move some things around but like those things i move around are like maybe the lead guitar and things like that yep. you could kind of get by without doing it if you're doing really great work uh, in other ways and the other thing is too is there's something to be said for limitations and focus yep interesting yeah you, you, you know but my buddy steve evitz made a really good point one time when andy wallace had that crazy thing where he had re- mixed 30 of the top 40 rock songs mm-hmm. uh I think he was 68 years old, and there's no 68-year-old human who's not experienced, at minimum, 24% of hearing loss. Because nobody at that age, right. you're down 24% uh, from where you were at 18, mm-hmm. just by law, basically. Right. Just by time. So it's about how you listen, not about how you hear. Okay, right. That's very interesting. The way I always equate that is like if you buy a new pair of speakers, you have to. There's a learning curve, and if you have a gradual, yes. you have a gradual hearing loss. You just kind of learn as you go. Mm. I feel like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like the limitations totally in art. I like that. Like Jack White's a big believer in that. He'll like for live shows. He'll intentionally, you know, a lot of guys will leave their picks in a very convenient spot. He'll intentionally yep. put the pick on the corner of the stage where he's got to run over and get it if he drops one. So to create some chaos huh. in the performance. I mean, that's like to the extreme, huh. but I just like that. I, I kind of dig that. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's an interesting thing I keep trying to write about is like we now have a world where you could have 
every musical instrument in a song if you wanted to, because they're all at your disposal really easy. Mm-hmm. And yet no one's doing that in music at all because limitations are good for creativity yeah. and endless parameters are not. You don't have people like I always thought we were going to have a thousand people like the flaming lips. <laughs> right. And we don't have we, we don't have 10 really. No. Agreed. Absolutely. OK, moving on. Uh, number eight. Do you believe we are alone in the universe? In other words, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> you know, I, I get so tired of talking about Blink-22 and that fucking idiot with this. I'm just going to say we're alone in the universe because I'm so tired of uh, having pop punk kids who I talk to uh, say that we're definitely not with no evidence. So we're alone in the universe just because I just because I'm tired of Tom DeLonge's bullshit. Dude, me t- have you watched the uh, Joe Rogan Tom DeLonge podcast? Uh, he I turned Tom it DeLonge. off halfway through. It I turned it off is... halfway through. I, c- I couldn't take it anymore. It's insane. The whole time Joe Rogan's like looking at his producer like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, that is it, it, such it, crazy shit. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just like, I'm really into um, facts. I don't like sure. to put my mind on facts that we can't actually prove it. We can't prove it. I don't want to think about it until there's better evidence. I'll review the evidence and yep. – some of my friends, it's just like it's the, the between the fucking aliens and the like false flag operations and all that shit. I'm just like, oh my god, get, get over it. <laughs> and, totally. and of course, the fucking bit, the fucking Bitcoin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bitcoin. All right, number nine. Um, I'll, I'll I'll reword this question I wrote. If this is more in like a survival situation, would you rather be okay. would you rather be stuck in a desert? Or stuck in a mountain, like a cold ass fucking snowy mountain. Oh, that's fucking hard. Uh, so, not the forest, but like and, snow, right? And there's fucking my gr- grizzly. My bears. girlfriend, my girlfriend and I go over scenarios of like if there's a disaster here, what would we do? And we have all the plans for like every single thing that happens, right? Even the unrealistic ones like the zombie. But man. I just was in San Francisco walking up those hills. I'm going desert just because I never want to walk up a fucking hill again after this week. <laughs> I would choose desert too if I had to because I fucking hate being cold. Mm-hmm. It like mm. ironic. Yeah, I, I, I do hate the cold too. Yeah. I, hate, I, 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 I live in New York City. I hate the fucking cold. I also hate being really hot. I'm just a big old weenie when it comes mm. down to it. <laughs> I want it perfect. Maybe I should live in LA. Okay. Mm, it's true. All right. This is the last one. Number 10. Very important question. So really focus here, Jesse. All right. Okay. Guinness or Corona? <laughs> oh, I'm totally Corona. Um, wow. I, 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 I have this thing. Interesting. That I, it's, a, it's a David Chang from Momofuku thing that I really abide by. Uh, that flavorful beer, beer gets in the way of a flavorful meal. And that you should basically drink piss water. Mm. with food mm. and most of my beer drinking is done with food so um i actually no joke only drink pretty much terrible terrible beer and i used to be a huge beer snob but uh i've really come around to that you want to let the beer stay out of the way of the other things you're doing if you're not eating food right though. if i'm not eating food the I switched to asahi and sapporo because i think those are the superior tasting light beers in my mm. uh Body has gotten used to that 
light the way light beer feels in me. When I drink like an IPA now, it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, that's all I had. You guys, I, I, I imagine you guys are on Team Guinness there. I'm Team Guinness personally, but I also love a good ice cold Corona on a hot summer day, West Coast style. Mm. I, per- I personally haven't found a stout that I like. Well, the Guinness is like the only mm. stout I do like because mm. I personally don't find it very dark or heavy. It's actually kind of light and airy. Interesting, but um, especially Guinness in, in Dublin, Ireland, is a very good good experience. That is a real thing. People say that, but it is real. It is very tasty, <laughs> tasty over there. All right, that's mm. rapid fire questions with Jesse Cannon. There we go. Awesome. Yay. Hip hip. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Um, we usually do the last thing. I do a movie pick every week, Jesse. I'm gonna do. Um, I don't think I did this one last time, and since the Oscars are around the corner, I'm going to pick Lady Bird. If anyone hasn't seen great that movie, movie, it's fucking great. Super, super sweet movie. Really well written, well all that out. Uh, love it. Have you seen that, Jesse? I, I have. I think that uh, that and The Square were the two hardest I laughed uh, at any movie last year. I thought that was a, a truly amazing movie. Square, I keep hearing about. Yeah, that. I haven't seen The Square. Square, Square is was so funny that my girlfriend and I, I think they were ready to kick us out of the theater because <laughs> we would laugh so far after a scene was done, still <laughs> that we couldn't even like keep it together because it's that. I, Probably the greatest sex scene in a movie comedically oh, ever written, and I don't think anybody will ever top it. Love it. I'll definitely go. I, I watch just about every movie that comes out. I mean, I'm a huge movie guy. It's probably see you go to the movies there twice a week. You go to the movies yeah, a, same, lot, same, same. a lot. A lot. It's my thing. It's my fucking thing. <laughs> I, I love movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got a good uh, – we, we, we got a couple good uh, – Alcohol serving movie theaters in the neighborhood, oh, and we do, we do that it's about the same one to twice a, once to twice a week. Fuck yeah! All right, well, hey, thanks for being on, Jesse. We really appreciate it, man. Yes, uh, I appreciate it. It's really good time. Yeah, where, where can people find you? Is there, is there anything you want to promote or anything going on? Yeah, I'm at Jesse Cannon. Uh, my latest book is uh, processingcreativity.com or processingcreativitybook.com. Mm. So do it, and if you want just more info on me in general, jessecannon.com has it. Okay, cool. We'll put that in the notes when we put out the podcast. Um, where can they find you, Neil? At neilioengel.com. Or that's Instagram. Yeah, that's great. Com. Where can I they find you? I was thinking about websites. Sorry. Andrew? Don't mind if I drew on Instagram. And you can find me at mm. James Ian Macmillan or at Stateside MGMT. And once again, thanks, Jesse. We really appreciate it, man. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. We love you. Bye. There it is. Fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs>